you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. Open it up, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, as we continue verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Word of God. <clears throat> we pick it up today in John, chapter 16, verse 7. I have a stool now because I'm getting older, so I have some place to sit if I need to rest. Verse 7, you're all there? Nice. Yeah. Bibles in your laps, your apps, so forth. And he says, this is Jesus speaking. I remind you, on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's speaking to the men and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness, because I go to my Father, because you see, no more, see me no more, and of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And that is as far as we're going to get today. So why don't you pray with me, please? And we're going to jump in. <clears throat> God, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of being able to take this time and be in your word and to, and to study it and to know it better. But better yet, to just knowing knowledge, getting information, to know you better, to love you more. And I am so excited to see what you're going to do here. So Lord, on this Communion Sunday, speak to us now. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit, God, and come upon me so that you would do the work, not me, and that we would be captivated and drawn in and have so much fun in your word. And that today, there would be this radical connection of the dots Regardless of where we came in, regardless of what our background is, whether we feel like we've got the Bible memorized or whether we've, we barely even know what that is. God, today I pray that you would speak exactly what we need to hear. Perform your therapy, your surgery, your healing today. Bring clarity and conviction and challenge and encouragement that we would walk out of here confident we've encountered you and understanding you better <coughs> and understanding our... The, the responsibility of our response to all of this. So, we give this to you and we pray that you would have your work now. Minister in every moment, we pray. And let this be perfect time spent. Lord, in width, in depth, in length, let this be exactly what you want it to be. So we commit this time to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. I'm trying to get rid of that low hum. All right. I'm going to pick on Dash for a second because Dash is here. Of all days, I just, I'm just so excited. So Dash has actually arrived at the airport. He's arrived at the airport. He's had a long and arduous journey. He is wiped out, as you might imagine. And he gets to the airport. And as he gets to the airport, all he really wants is home. He wants his bed. He wants to be able to know where the pillow is and the familiar smell and to be able to get up in the middle of the night if he needs to get to the toilet and not have to open his eyes. He knows where it is. He wants that feeling of home. And when he gets to, let's say, Heathrow in such a case, he actually sees that there are a couple options. In one case, there is the Heathrow Express. And what if the Heathrow Express were even better than he imagined it actually could take him straight home? 
It wasn't even one of those situations where you'd have to go to this stop and then get to this stop and hop a bus and then from the bus get to this place and then get to the overground and wind up somewhere near the mall, the, the Westfield city that it is. Well, he's got another option too. His other option is that he could actually just decide that he could walk into anyone's house and pull sort of a Robert Downey Jr. and just decide that's his house and sleep on their couch. That's an option too. Or he's the third option altogether. He's like, ah, forget it. I'll just walk it. Of course, if you know, he's in Stratford and stuff. It's a bit far away from Heathrow. Now, I actually have a bit of confidence, sort of that Irish spirit within me probably would make it. Some of you might not make it that far. And to be honest, it all depends on what neighborhood you walk through. But imagine, if you will, that he was sitting there and this time he arrives in his journey of life. And as he sort of sits there at the terminal, now there's going to be different opportunities. There's the opportunity of his own work, if you will, his own effects. It's not going to get him home, but it's going to get him in that direction, he feels. And because of that, he feels like he's taking steps in that direction. But on the other hand, pulling up is the Holy Spirit Express. And as the Holy Spirit Express pulls up, he gets ideas in his mind the woman he hears Holy Spirit because he's been around those kind of things. And you know, it's amazing because you could do just about anything you want, slap the words Holy Spirit on it, and somehow it seems to make it okay. You can bark, you can cluck like a chicken, you can slap each other, you can barf, you can be drunk, uh, you can scream uncontrollably, and as long as you say, in the Spirit, it seems to be okay. Well, it isn't okay, according to the Holy Spirit, but I'll be honest, I have been in situations where every one of those have taken place. Now, let me say it this way. Not one place where all of those were happening, but in several places where, in this case, someone would stand up and start clucking, and they'd say, oh, the Spirit's come upon him, and it's the Spirit of the chicken. I mean, it is unbelievable what you can say in the Spirit. And if you've been around any of that kind of stuff, then you hear this thing pulls up, and you're like, that chance, I'd rather walk. The last thing I want is to be able to be in such a situation where, basically, this is like the crazy train. And I stepped off of that with Ozzy a long time ago. I'm done. I'm done with the crazy train. And you get the idea. It's like, I don't want that. I think I'll do it myself. But what if you actually could understand what the Holy Spirit really wants? Well, what you get in this text is actually the Holy Spirit expressed three basic stops on en route. And Jesus gives them to us methodically, in order, consciously. He wants to tell us this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, I want to start by saying, like always, please never just believe me. Never just assume it's true because I say so. Any guy with a mic is a dangerous thing. And it's even worse when he's got a pen or a pencil or a computer and he starts to type something out and call it, you know, fact. Because then there's nobody to say, excuse me. But the reason I say that is, is that the word of God is actually supposed to be something you investigate so you can test all things to be true or false. Now, in this situation, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is coming, and notice it says that he will convict the world. Now, Jesus is actually saying he's leaving. And again, for guys who have left everything to follow Jesus, that's got to be a rough deal. And yet, in all of that, consider the fact that they are following somebody clearly, that the last thing they expected is for Jesus to say, oh, by the way, guys, I'm leaving. And that's where we're at with this. Now, imagine the meltdown you would get. You've left everything to follow him. And now this is what you get. Sorry, guys, I'm going. He goes, but I'm not leaving you alone. I will leave you alone, Pericleton, another helper, someone just like me. But he's going to do on the inside what I'm doing on the outside. And here as he starts to develop that, he says, you should recognize it is actually to your benefit, to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, you're not going to get the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit comes, you know I've gone. 
Now, as it's the case, he starts to give us this. Now, I remind you, back in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said, when that same helper, and he calls him, by the way, helper or counselor, parakalejo, para means beside, kalejo means called. And think about who would be called beside you. Not somebody that would be like a professional. You know, somebody that the police would call or, you know, you know, a concerned family member would call and say, I don't know, Mark's a little beside himself right now or at least he's having a rough day. But somebody that internally would be called, they'd be, they would recognize on that particular day you're having a rough day. They're going to be beside you. They're coming alongside you. And it doesn't matter how manly you are, how cool you are, how feminine or whatever, everybody likes to have someone beside them at the right times. It's good to have that person that you can lean on, that you can rest on. Well, that's the term that's used about the Holy Spirit. As helper, counselor, encourager, you can put the term there you want, but the same idea applies. And what he said at the end of the last chapter in 1526 is, When the Helper comes whom I'll send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And this was where he sort of set this whole thing up. Now, you, those of you who come here regularly, you kind of know this isn't like we spent 68 weeks on the Holy Spirit, unless it's 68 weeks in front of us of verses about the Holy Spirit. But here we are with it, with him. Now, let me ask you a dangerous question for those of you who are Bible students. When Pharaoh heard the words, let my people go, whose voice did he hear? You tell me. Whose voice did he hear? Aaron's. If you remember the story, God calls a guy and he's in the middle of the wilderness. He's watching sheep in the Midian hot, hot sand and a bush begins to catch fire, which isn't entirely out of the question. Tamarisk bush is in the Middle East, actually emit an oil that in very great heat actually catch fire. The issue isn't that a bush is on fire, it's that it's not being burned up. Moses kind of checks this thing and he's like, whoa. And he says, I'm going to go over there and take a look at that. I'm not exactly sure who he's talking to. The sheep? And in that, then the bush begins to speak. And at that point, you know you're in trouble. But as the bush begins to speak, the first thing it tells him to do is take off his shoes, his sandals. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually did live by the beach and having lived by the beach, one thing's for sure, on a hot day, the last thing you want is to take off your shoes when you're walking in the sand. I can't even imagine what it would be like 45 degrees outside. And, uh, and it's been that way for, I don't know, like ever. And now it says, oh, and take off your shoes. Sure, because fried feet sound like a great idea. But nonetheless, he does. And God begins to have this discourse with Moses. And he says to him, I, you know, I've, I've heard the cries of the people. I've seen their torment and I know their pain. Therefore, I'm going to go down and deliver them. And you can see Moses going, yeah. And he goes, so I'm going to send you. And at that point, everything changes. What? Wait a minute. What? 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 No, 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 no. And Moses begins to get in an argument with this talking bush. And he begins to say, no, you don't understand. I'm not a good speaker. Interesting. He's really good at arguing. Have you ever known people like that? They're good at arguing, but they're not good speakers. Well, that's his point. And God's like, excuse me, who made your mouth? Are you really telling me something I don't know? Could you imagine God telling you he wants to do something amazing? It's like, Eddie, I want to change the world. And you're like, but God, I've taken a good inventory of me and this is who I am. And God going, oh, huh, I'm sorry. I have the wrong person. Shamar, I want to, I mean, which one of us thinks we're going to you know, actually tell God something he doesn't know? And somewhere in all of that, he's arguing, he's well, I'm not a good speaker. Though he does write the first worship song, by the way, as well. Uh, maybe it was more like a rap. I don't know. Anyways, but just the same. In all of that, God goes, look, I made your mouth. So don't tell me all of this. 
And he goes, could you just send someone else? You understand, every time Moses tries to throw an argument at God about why he doesn't want to do it, in the end of it all, that sounds like a legitimate argument. God knows it is a lame excuse. Legitimate argument in your head, lame excuse from the God who actually knows. And in that, he looks and he goes, and, and Moses finally, he just, he, all of his bluffs are called, and he says, could you just send someone else? Understand, the more you want to throw arguments at God about what God wants to do through you, that's going to be amazing and clearly beyond you. Ultimately, in the end, the only reason why it's not going to happen is because you just not going to, you just don't want it to. You're not in, you're not in it. And God goes, I'll tell you what. Your brother's coming, Aaron. Who, by the way, his name means light bearer. You tell him, he'll tell them. Which, by the way, has to look infinitely funnier than all of the cartoons we've ever seen, like Prince of Egypt, or Yul Brenner, and all those other situations. If you're a bit older. With the idea where somebody comes in and he's like all majesty and he's got his stuff and he's like, let my people go, right? And, you know, you're like, who is their God? You know, we get that situation. Well, imagine what it would be like these two guys walk in and there's Moses with all of his pomp and da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden Pharaoh looks at him and he goes, psh, psh, psh. And Aaron goes, my brother said, let my people go. I mean, the reason I say that is, is that Moses was getting the info, but Aaron was the mouthpiece. My, my, let me say it this way, or mouth. Not mouthpiece. Mouthpiece. Think of it this way, that Moses was the word source, but Aaron was the mouthpiece. Does that make sense? Now, why do I say that? Because God was setting us up for what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit is the word source, but you're the mouthpiece. Aaron didn't have to come up with any new information. He didn't even have to come up with the script. That was Moses' job. Aaron just had to say it. Now, it still is dangerous because sooner or later, imagine... It's like, you know, which one does Pharaoh talk to? You know, you know, Aaron's like, let my people go. You know, the Lord God of the Hebrews says, let my people go. And, and he's just kind of looking at the, well, uh, well, ask him, I guess, which one, who's his God? You know, and he's like, he's the God of the, you know, and, and like, I just love the fact that this is kind of a, I mean, it would be an odd situation for Pharaoh. But imagine what it's like when you're there and the Lord speaks in your ear and he's going, all right, now I, want, I need a mouthpiece. I'm looking for you. All right. And I think it's interesting that Aaron's name means light bearer. Because that's what you are when you're listening. And the reason I say that is that's what Jesus was warning us of at the end of John 15. When he says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to speak, but you're going to testify. Because in the end of it all, he's going to whisper it in your ear. I mean, he's already testifying, but man, I'm going to use your mouth now. Now he tells us what that's going to look like. Remember that whole Holy Spirit Express thing? Well, that's what we get in this text. He says, so listen to this. In verse 8, he says, when he has come, he will convict. There's the first part of that. Take a look at it again in verse 8. Now, the word in the Greek, and I won't do this with a lot of words, but it's important because I'm, it's really important for me to kind of know what in the world I'm talking about. And getting definition for a term is real key. The term convict here is the term enlenko. Now, try that word in the Greek. Enlenko. Your turn. No, no, I call the words come from Greek words. Right? Enlenko. Come on, give me a little... Opa, there's a little bit better. Now, the word, by the way, is a common word, and it isn't the first time it's been used, and it isn't even the first time it's been used in John. Back in Matthew 18, one of the texts we might be most familiar with is when you have a brother that sinned against you, and you pull him aside and you tell him his fault between you and him. That term, tell him his fault, that term is elenco. But in the Gospel of John, like we're looking at here, remember back in John chapter 3, 
We had just gotten past the most famous text in all of Scripture, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Remember then it says, you know, that whoever actually believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe in him is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the Son of God. And then, he, and then he goes, and this is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but men hated the light. But they loved the darkness, and that was the problem. And it actually says in 3.20 then, listen, everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest their evil deeds would be exposed. And the word exposed there is the widelenko that we have here. In John chapter 8, if you remember the situation when they thrust a gal caught in the act of adultery before Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and throw stones at her. If you don't have any sin, then go ahead, be my guest. And you'd have to think there was not one guy amidst those that was delusional enough at that moment to actually, no, yeah, man, I'll tell you what, except for this, that the greatest crime in the sight of traditional Judaism is the murder of the innocent. Ironic. Because they're going to murder the person who's telling them this. But it tells us that they left oldest to youngest convicted by their conscience. And the term convicted, elenco. In John chapter 8, just after that, as they want to actually, they drop the stones, but temporarily, they're going to pick them up to throw them at Jesus before the end of chapter 8. Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? Now, hear me on this. In all of those cases, the term is elenco. Now, here's the point of it. The term means to plead, to beg, to convince, to convict, to challenge. It's what the word means. Now, how many of you know where the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the, in, the, uh, in the Bible at all? Genesis, you got there. How far do you have to get in? How many chapters? Yeah, you're pretty much at verse 2. You're there. When it tells us, by the way, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and it tells us then that the Holy Spirit was moving, and people love to go in all kinds of places with it. Some are like he's crumping. He's, you know, he's, it's amazing where they go. It just as he's moving. I'd like you to consider the fact that most people know the first time we read about the Holy Spirit, but does anyone know the second time that we read about the Holy Spirit? It's a little quieter. Consider this. The first time, here's the order. God's Holy Spirit moves. God's word goes forth. Light comes, then life. That was the routine. I think it's a fantastic routine, by the way. You'll find that throughout all of Scripture. God's Holy Spirit moves. And the next thing I would expect is God's word to go forth. And as God's word goes forth, the next thing is God brings light. And then as God brings light, God brings life. The second time you, by the way, that you read of the Holy Spirit is in Genesis chapter 6. And it tells us this. My spirit will not strive with man forever. Some of you are familiar with the text. The context, of course, is Noah. The term strive, by the way, that's the thing that gets me in this. The term strive there is the word din. Try that word, din. Now we're talking Hebrew. Now you look at, look at, I'll turn you guys into polyglots. Just here, you spoke a little Greek, a little bit of Hebrew. We'll do some Swahili later, just for fun. All right, get this on this. The word deen, by the way, means to beg, to plead. Do you realize that the second time God's Holy Spirit is active or noted in Scripture, He's begging man, begging to return back? And we read that, Mo, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now the reason I say that is, is that, the work of the Holy Spirit has always been the same, to bring life and to bring you back to life. That's the whole point of it, to bring you to the author of life. 
God basically makes man and then spends the rest of his time calling him back. For what it's worth, and I'll just give you a couple just to kind of set you on that. The next time you're going to read about him, by the way, is also in Genesis where Joseph is raised up, by the way, to save the, un- to the Gentile world and then the Jewish world, for what it's worth. That's in Genesis 41. Then the next two times, by the way, are in, in Exodus 28 and 31. And it's actually to consecrate and beautify the priests and then to build up a, bu- a building place for God. Did you get that? Think that one through. God creates life, calls men back, raises men up to bring salvation, and then raises up priests, consecrating them, and then builds up his dwelling place. Huh. Back in our text here, he tells us what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into the world, and we read again that he will convict. Now, who is he convicting according to this verse? We read the world. Now, it tells us that he's going to convict the world of three different things. Do you see that? That's our three stops, by the way, on Dash's Holy Spirit Express on his way home. It tells us this. When he comes, he will convict the world. Number one, first stop, you know, first stop, sin. Oh, that's enough to make none of us want to get on the train when you realize that's where it's going to stop first. Second is righteousness. And the third is judgment. Do you see that in the verse? So you know I'm not making that up. Okay, well, consider me, well, let me ask that as if it were a question. Do you guys see that in the verse so you know I'm not making it up? Okay, not if you're alive, if you're breathing. Just, okay, just check in, just check in. Okay, get, me with, get with me on this first one. Here's the term, it says here. And he, by the way, notice he defines all three of these. He's not going to let you make up sin or righteousness or judgment. All three of them he's going to build on. Now, he tells us here that there's a relationship that the Holy Spirit has with people. Might I say this for those of you who are note takers, the Holy Spirit has three interfaces with humankind. And it tells us this because Jesus has already walked us through some of this, by the way, back in John 14. Listen to this verse. This is 14.7. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, for it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, follow me on this. First stage, with. Can you say with? There you go. Second stage, in. Can you say in? Okay, now that's just, by the way, that's actually called a reinforcement help. For those of you who are teachers, you kind of know we're just trying to get you to remember. Now, what's the simple idea? And that's what we have in our text here. Is the Holy Spirit dwelling with. What does he do when he's dwelling with people? In other words, besides the term para. In, by the way, according to Ephesians 1.13, it says, Having believed the word of your salvation, the moment you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise as a guarantee of your inheritance to the, per- to the redemption of the purchased possession. The moment you say yes to Jesus, God comes and he lives inside of you. But not right now. It tells us the world can't receive him that way. And that's the world we read in our verse here. So get this. First, the Holy Spirit dwells with people. At the moment you receive Jesus, he dwells in you. And then according to Acts 1.8, he dwells upon you. In a simple sense, he dwells with the world. What does he do with the world? According to this, he's convicting. What does he do when he dwells in the believer? He's consecrating them and changing them from the inside out. What does he do when he dwells upon the minister or the servant? He empowers them for ministry. That's, in other words, in all cases, you are either being drawn closer to the feet of Jesus, you're being used to do that for someone else. I love it. There's no barking, yelling, screaming, or any of that as if that were the primary tool. Now look it. If the Holy Spirit leads you to something like that, I guarantee you it will only be to draw you closer to him or draw someone else closer to him. Now maybe he'll use you to scare somebody there. I don't know. It's just not my gig. I do know this. 
that according to this verse here, back in our text, he tells you these are what the three stops look like. So let's take a look at them and we'll walk through them and we'll conclude. Here's the idea. So somewhere down the line, Dash has stepped on there. And let's just put a couple more people in it. Abraham, Tunde, and... Shaden. Shagan. Sweet. Nice. Nice, Shagan. I like your name. So, Abraham, Tunde, and Shagan have also stepped on the train. They all came on at Heathrow. At your Heathrow, wherever your Heathrow is. Does that make sense so far? First stop, it tells us this. Sin. And he goes, let me tell you why the Holy Spirit needs to tell you about sin. Because it tells us why here, because it's because they don't believe in me. Did you notice that's the point? What is the greatest sin there is? Now, it all depends on your tradition, because some are like, well, these are kind of like not so bad sins, and then these are like really bad sins, and these are unforgivable sins, and then there's these sins. Well, it's important to recognize, according to our text, and I'm not talking about things like the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We'll address that another day. There is one sin that is fundamentally greatest, and that is the one that keeps you from being forgiven for the other ones. If you don't accept the gift of Jesus Christ, there's no forgiveness, because only through Jesus Christ is there forgiveness. You're aware of the fact that if you lined up every spiritual leader there is, it doesn't matter who it is. You can take Ethiopian kings and put them next to Arabian raiders, and you could put them next to Indian guys that moved you know, to farther to, into Asia and starved themselves, or whatever the case is, or guys that sat around somewhere eating yogurt and speaking sort of pretentious words. You put them all next to each other, and you say, well, which one of you forgives? And there's only one who does. No one's promising that but Jesus. And no one's capable of doing that but Jesus as well. I mean, if you had the choice, if every one of them were real, and I'm not saying they are, but if you had everyone that was real, if every one of them were, which one was qualified to actually pay for your sins? Only the one who had none themselves. Do you know that even the Quran actually says that the only perfect person was Jesus? It doesn't even say that about Muhammad. Are you aware of that? And the reason I say that is, is if you lined up every person, and I'm not trying to pick on one thing, I'm trying to isolate Jesus from the rest, and he does that himself. He's the only perfect sacrifice. You're probably aware in the Old Testament, you didn't have to be perfect when you showed up at the tabernacle or the temple. It wasn't your perfection, but you had to pick a perfect sacrifice. Praise God that it wasn't about you being perfect, you know what I'm saying? Because let's face it, once you blow it, you ain't perfect anymore. It isn't like you can just will yourself back to perfect. But you can pick a perfect sacrifice. God had been setting us up with that all the way back in Leviticus. Now, with that in mind, you pick the sacrifice that actually has no fault or blemish. But then if you lined up all of those same people again and asked which one would be willing to volunteer to pay for you, only one person stepped forward, and by God's grace, it's the same person that qualified. Aren't you thankful? Wouldn't it have been horrible if somebody else stepped forward, but they weren't qualified? Like, well, I have the very best intention, but I'm sorry, but you have your own sin to pay for. Now, hear me on this. Sin, because they do not believe in me. And here's where this whole thing happens. Everything else follows from this simple thing that God is calling out for you to trust him. That's all believe means. Episfuho, it just means to put your trust upon him. So listen to this. In Romans 1, it tells us this in verse 20. And listen carefully. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So that it, he says, his eternal power and his divine Godhead, all of those things are clearly seen by what God has made. So man is without excuse. It isn't because they are due with this out of ignorance. 
It says, but because, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They made the choice not to give him credit. The gateway to everything else, a futile exploration of satisfaction anywhere else. We're empty and we want to be filled. We're lonely and we want to be loved. We feel lost and we want purpose and we feel like something inside of us isn't right and we want to be made right. And then the enemy, the opponent of the living God and of our own satisfaction begins to advertise lust for love, identity for purpose. Come on, reinvent that what really is right so you could placate your conscience. But inside our consciences scream and they scream and they say, this isn't filling anything. If anything, it's only making the hole bigger and reminding me more of it. So I try from relationship to relationship and drug to drug and from craziness to craziness. And in all this stuff I do, somewhere in all of it, it's just not working. And this voice keeps calling out, why don't you trust me, says the Lord. And you're like, no, no, no. But to me, the most insane part about this, and this is part of my testimony too, here's the craziest part, is instead of changing course, I decided myself, maybe if I just do more of it, it'll work. So if I do a little bit more drugs, if I get into that, that particular crew, okay, I was in this gang, but if I get into this gang, maybe if I could just land that gal, maybe if I could just accomplish this and buy this and own this and get to this place and they can put this title before my name, then I'll be happy. The worst part is when you get those things. Because when you get them, it reminds you it didn't work. And the irony is, instead of just going, well, bag that, go somewhere else, you just think, well, maybe I just don't have enough of it. One of the greatest and worst things that ever happened in my life is that God gave me all the things I wanted. It was before I knew him. And I know what it was like to be lonely and to want purpose and to grow up poor and then wonder where the next meal is, and then don't wonder whether you're going to live through the day. I was born on the south side of Chicago, one of the 19 teenagers on my block, 16 of them were murdered or OD'd in their teen years. In other words, three of us lived past that. And of those three of them, one of them is Stacy, and he's like, yells at his reflection in the storefront window so you can decide whether he made it through or not. Stacy stuck his fist to us, a Ford van door, solid steel. How he did that, I still don't know. It's like the Hulk. But where is he today? As if he's still alive today. And the reason I say that is I know what it's like to go, man, if I could just get to a safe place, or if I could get in this crew, then I would be safe, right? And then I could have purpose. And then I could get a name. If I can get my identity, and I am the, and I've got the thing, whatever the thing is, then I'll be okay, right? And you're the toughest, you're the baddest, you're the whatever it is. And then you get there, and then you get the money, and you get the title, and you get the name, and you get whatever. And then you really feel like a freak. At least that's my testimony. You know why? Because isn't everybody happy when they get this stuff, and I'm not? What's wrong with me? Truth be told, the more people you meet like that, the more they'll tell you the same thing. There's no support group for rich people that have names and titles and are famous, though there should be. Because they're some of the most miserable people I ever met. It's like, if it really was so great, why is everyone still so wasted? Because it's the only way we can sedate ourselves from actually recognizing the truth that this isn't working. 
And in all of this, Jesus is calling out. He's going, look it. You could trust me. You could trust me with that emptiness. But now here's the problem. Now at this point, we've damaged ourselves. Let's just be honest. Now we're filthy and we feel really gross. And we're like, oh man, this isn't good. And now we don't want to come to God because... I mean, we didn't want to come to God before, but now we feel like if we came to God, he would come, he'd scream and come running out of the room because look at how nasty we are now. We're drenched in all of this filth that we've divulged ourselves in. And you know, no matter what it is, man, you start going, if I, just, if I could get in the right relationship, but that doesn't work, and then you go from that to all kinds of weird and perverted stuff. It's amazing, and you just drench yourself in the hor- most horrible muck. And then you go like, well, I can't go to God now. Look at me. God goes, no, no, actually, now you need to trust me. And you're like, but I'm not worthy. And it's like, well, now that we can agree on that, we've never been worthy. Now you have a clear understanding of that. But need to say this. This is only our first of three stops. So the first stop is this. All right, sin, will you trust Jesus because you need to recognize you ain't going to get there on your own. Somewhere down the line, you're on the train, and that horrible moment happens, and you can see it. We read the DLR a lot because we're um, we live in Greenwich, and it's amazing. I think probably half, maybe more, of the people who ride the DLR really never pay for their rides. I, I never really realized that until you see the ticket inspector, and you can see people that are professional ticket evaders, right? You know them? It's like all of a sudden, and it's like you can tell, they've like sat on the inside and they're riding the whole ride, but no, all of a sudden they need to get out. Yep, this is it. This is the one. And you know, it's like how they're, oh, excuse me, and they're going to walk behind the guy. I'm not telling you how to do this, by the way, you know. And then they're just, you know, making sure, and they're like, oh, me, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, hold on one second. Let me go. I have to go back to my bag. And of course, their bag seems to be off the train, you know. And it's like amazing how that is. And the reason I say that is somewhere down the line, even getting on this train, someone's going to have to pay for it. And somewhere down the line, you start doing this, you know, and you watch. On a rare occasion, somebody genuinely does it because they actually don't know where their wallet is. But mm, let's just be honest. Sometimes it is a really great performance. Man, you see my wallet? You see my, Come on, what's my, my wallet? Yeah, you know, it's like, I wonder how long this is going to happen. Does he really think the ticket inspector is like, well, that was a really good performance. I'll just go to the next guy because that was really good. You know, and the reason I say that is, is that somewhere down the line you get to sin and you realize someone needs to pay for that. And you stop at this place, and I'll be honest, some people will get off here. They'll get off here and they're like, you know what? I would rather die miserable than to admit the fact I'm weak and I need help. I would rather die than actually ask for rescue. Because, man, at least I got my pride. Well, look at where your pride's getting you. Congratulations, you are proud and dead. That looks really good on your gravestone. Too proud to live. But then comes our second stop of righteousness. Because I go to the Father. And you see me no more. Notice there's two statements to define it. Righteousness, dikaiosone. Dikaiosone, by the way, in the Greek, it's a building term. Right, it's in the right place. It literally means rightness. It's interesting because of all of the particular um, sacrifices that are given in Leviticus. You know that book most people try to skip past, which I don't, by the way. Some of you are aware of that. 
That you could, the first thing you're like, look at all those sacrifices at the beginning, man. It's like, you know, Peter would go mental if they read the beginning of this book. You know, and you go through these things and you realize, well, wait a minute, you get to chapter three and God starts talking about this peace sacrifice. What's a peace sacrifice? Well, let's play that out for a second. Eddie and Jaden, two of the wildest people you could ever meet. I can't even think of an environment where the two of you would be the wildest people I've ever met. I'm a morgue. Anyways, but you know, you know, like, yeah, those guys are crazy there. Okay, so Jaden does, you know, because Jaden, look at how much he's been talking. You know, he says something that really offends Eddie, and Eddie's angry. And he starts the IHateJaden.com website, you know, and he's got these blogs every day about the 13 things I hate about Jaden, you know, that kind of stuff, and all this. And he's, you know, he's selling scripts to, you know, to the sun and you know those places that if you invent a story they'll buy it you know and and all that and just oh and I, I heard Jaden was doing this and Jaden was doing that and, you know and somewhere down the line and obviously the bottom line is is that Jaden's got some Jaden's got some uh, trouble now because Eddie's really offended and it tells us in the book of Proverbs that a brother offended is harder to win than a walled city and it says that contentions are like iron bars but somewhere down the line he runs into Marcia good Nana Marcia. And she is just full of wisdom. And she's like, Eddie, you're being sinful. And you need to get it right. Maybe you heard wrong. I can actually hear Marcy saying that. Some of you know you can hear. Maybe you just heard it wrong. So with all of that non, he does this brave thing. And he actually comes over and he goes, Jaden, did you really say this? And Jaden's like, I didn't say anything like that. I said, I, your head, I wish my head was like your head. And you thought I said, your head looks like a fish. I don't hate your head. You know, but somewhere in all, you realize, and now they get, they get reconciled. Well, if this was 4,000 years ago in the Middle East and Israel, what would happen is this would be a whole lot more than a handshake or a hug. At that point, what would happen is they'd have a feast. So what would happen is, is they'd take the animal and they'd cut it, and all the fat parts, like literally the fatty lobe and the fat tail and the fat that covers this and the fat, that's that, and fat, 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 fat gets burned. And the kidneys. You know, the part that filters toxins. I find that interesting. They basically burn all that stuff and the stuff that only Scots eat. And then what happens is they've got all this meat, but it isn't just for the two of them to eat together. Guess who else they invite? Everybody that's close to them. You see, when the two of them are unified, everybody else benefits. That's the whole idea. There's no Hatfield and McCoys. There's no Romeo and Juliet going on here. This is two people that are now actually really good friends again. They've been reconciled. And because we're friends of that, we are invited to that. Do we know that that was the case in Jesus' day? Anyone familiar with Luke 15 and Jesus tells three parables? There's a, a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep, but he loses how many? One. And it, and it says a one is off. And one is off, uh, in, as Jesus tells it in Mark. And with that, he goes after it. And when he brings it back, do you remember what he does? He calls all of his servants together and he says, rejoice with me. He's throwing a feast. She's throwing a feast because a sheep was brought back in and they're at peace now. Strange as that is. Then it was a woman with coins. Now you think, well, that's weird. Wait a minute, were they like him, were they the guy and the sheep in an argument? That's not the point. The point was the great celebration of the union of this thing returning. Then there's a woman who's got ten coins, likely, by the way, her bride price. Losing one would be like losing your engagement ring. And with that, she sweeps the whole house. Well, when she finds it, she calls up all of her friends. She FaceTimes and puts it on Facebook and says, Hey, everybody, you need to come over to my house. We're going to celebrate. I found my coin. And of course, that all sets us up with the, the most famous of the three stories, the story of the prodigal son. 
where the father, do you remember what happens when he actually sees his boy come back? He runs, wraps his arms around the boy, cries on his neck, and then calls for a robe, a ring, and a fatted calf. He is throwing a feast. And yet the father never offended the son. The son just ran off in his sin. It was his offense and the father forgave. The reason I say that is when Jesus talks about righteousness here, the idea is how to get right. The, the first stop was sin, and the first stop was sin, it tells you that you're wrong. The second stop tells you how to get right. Aren't you thankful that that's the order? Here's the funny part. You tell someone you need to get right with God, and they're like, for what? I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, well, actually, because you're a sinner, oh, don't bring up that word. Well, you know, you know, that's not very loving. Yeah, imagine you go to the doctor, you have cancer, but he doesn't want to tell you you have cancer because he's afraid it'll offend you. Oh, I don't want you to think I'm not loving. Look at if it's the diagnosis and they're, and they're actually equipped to tell you, they should tell you. Really sorry, you have terminal sin. Here's the good news, there is a cure. And there's one cure. And let's face it, if you actually believed you were going to die from a terminal illness, you wouldn't be arguing over how many options you have. One is enough. Like, how dare you tell me? Well, in the end of it all, you can get angry. But if you really are terminal, one solution's enough. And there is one solution to your terminal illness. But here's the good news. Your terminal illness is my terminal illness, which is you know, Jonathan's terminal illness, which is Fanny's terminal illness, which is Lois's terminal illness, which is Suzanne's terminal illness. And the, of course, and, the, and there's Lisa's terminal illness because it's sin. And the bottom line is we're all there. And therefore, those of us who have gone to the cross and accepted the gift of Jesus Christ stand free from that guilt and shame so we can actually testify that we can be made well. That's the point. When we read, by his stripes we are healed, most people like to use that for all kinds of wacky places. But notice the context. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each to our own ways, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The whole point of the whole thing was that we deserve death. We deserve, we stand before God guilty, and the stripes upon Jesus' back were payment for that guilt. So this is what Jesus says. You want, to, you want to know what real rightness looks like? What real righteousness? Well, it all depends if you're talking vertical or horizontal. Or horizontal, horizontal. Vertical, what is it like? I go to be with the Father. You know what real righteousness with God is? That you get to be with Him. Isaiah says it this way, by the way, in Isaiah 59, 2, that your iniquity has separated you from God. It says your sins have hidden His face from you. What's between you and Him is your guilt. Here's the good news. God's already paid for that. He's already made a combination for it. The question is, will you trust him on that? That goes back to the sin issue of not trusting him. The cure, the cure is to accept this gift of Jesus Christ who removes that thing between us. But what, it looks, what does it look like righteousness practically between you and me? Well, notice the second statement. I go to the Father and you see me no more. When I'm really, really right with God, guess what you're going to see? You're going to see him and not me. I like that. Between me and him, righteousness, and it is, that's being with him. Righteousness with you, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. You're going to see the Lord. So that moves us to our last stop. The question is, are you willing to go there? You get to this stop and some people will get off. And what, they mean by, what I mean by that is they're like, you know, I'm, I'm actually not into that kind of righteousness. I'd like to do it myself. Well, you know what do it yourself is, right? I'll get out and walk myself. 
I can get there on my own. I'll walk through Brixton and Hackney and Tottenham to get there. What difference does it make? Well, it all depends on what postcode you're in. Which takes us to our last one of judgment. Now, when I think of judgment, my first thought is, and maybe yours as well, is, oh, yeah, 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 no, 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 right? You're kind of that whole finger-pointing thing. What's interesting is the word judgment here is different from the word judged at the end of verse 11. The word judged is the word krisis. Try that word in the Greek. Krisis. Now, give me a good Greek. Krisis. Come on, you should like have souvlaki dripping off your face. Krisis. Try that. Krisis. We get an American or English word for it, because we actually both speak roughly the same language on this. Does anyone want to guess what English word comes from this? Crisis. Exactly. Now, what is a crisis? A crisis is a moment where a chance or a choice is necessitated. When you're in a crisis, you're going to have to make a choice. When he says that the Holy Spirit will convict of sin and righteousness and of judgment, the word judgment there is crisis, crisis. You're in a crisis. In other words, the Holy Spirit will actually tell you you're not right with God. Now, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation says, you suck, get out. That's what, conde- that's what, that's what the enemy does. He tries to pull you away from God. Conviction says, you're not right, get it right. The difference is where you go with it. Both places, you'll be told you're not right. The issue is what you're going to do with it. And the Holy Spirit says, you're not right. And then he convicts you of righteousness. You need to get right, and here's how you can get right. You can be right with the Father, and you can be right with others. And it starts with this. God paid your price. Will you let him pay the bill for you, please? Jesus not only died on the cross, but he rose again to give you a whole new life. And he goes, now, here's the most important part of all of this, because with all of that information, you can go, okay, well, I should probably give it a thought. And then the Holy Spirit says, no, you are in a crisis. You are in a crisis, and you need to make a choice. Because if you don't make a choice, you don't know how many breaths you've got left. In the last three weeks, we volunteer once a week, Daniel and I, at a rehab house. It's a rehab house down in Broccoli. And some of those guys had been addicts for over 30 years. Some of them, they've lost most of their skin or their teeth or their wits. And God is restoring them. The privilege of serving a guy named Steve who, by the way, sounded like Darth Vader when he came in. Bad, bad emphysema. And he had to labor to breathe. But for whatever reason, he would come to our study anyways every Thursday. You could always tell he was there because the moment you started singing, somebody was going into a coughing fit. Well, roughly three, four weeks ago, another guy showed up, a big guy, also named Steve, interestingly enough, who had been horribly horribly abused by unimaginable situations in the name of religion, mind you, and of family. And he came in and he was angry and he just wanted to fight everyone. But for whatever reason, he'd come to our studies as well, even though he knew he had so much to get over. And he would hear Every week, you need to make a choice on this, man. And look at, making no choice is still making the choice no right now. In the last three weeks, both of those Steves have gone to be with God. This last Thursday, we were sat down and said, I just need to let you know, we were informed with the rest of the guys. Big Steve, 
the guy with the greatest struggles, he um, wasn't feeling well and hiding it, and the guys didn't want to say anything. You know how you don't want to grass out on someone? He's getting nosebleeds and all kinds of stuff. And by the time they finally got an ambulance to him, they got him to the hospital. His insides were just caving in on him. He didn't have a day from the time that they actually started giving him care. Now look at You wouldn't have known. I mean, both of those guys, you could say they have, they've had it rough, but you would have never put an expiration date on either of them this month. And the only reason I say that is you can see why that would inspire me all the more. Listen, you guys, the Holy Spirit convicts you of a crisis. But notice the rest of the statement of judgment because the ruler, archon, like architect, means the guy that's in the front, the ruler of this world is judged. And there's the word for passing condemnation or been deemed lost. He lost. And here's the point. Maybe you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and I'll talk about you in a moment, and then we're going to go to prayer, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you're not sure if you have. Well, here's the good news. You can walk out of here, sure. And maybe you have your objections, and you can go, well, I'd rather play the field and so forth. Well, it sounds like you're actually not wanting to step on this train at all, but somewhere you stepped on the train enough to get here today, and that was a risk. For some of you, that was a really brave risk. And you came in here and understand this. Someone on the line, you're like, I just know if I come in here, someone's going to tell me I'm guilty and all that stuff. Well, guess what? You are guilty. Have a nice day. We all are in and of our own worth. It actually says our own righteousness is but filthy rags in the sight of God. And it's literally dirty menstrual cloths. That'll give you an idea. It's like, God, this should make me right with you when you throw a bunch of dirty tampons at God. I'm not trying to be crude. I'm just trying to tell you that's what Isaiah says. And look, I don't know, you could fool me, you could have been here forever, or you could have just shown up the first time. No one's told me anything, because God doesn't have to tell me anything, he has to tell you. But that's the Holy Spirit's work. And if you know you're guilty and you're angry because you don't want to feel that way, well, here's the good news. You don't want to feel that way, well, then deal with it. What if you had a sore on you and you really knew that that sore needs to be dealt with or you could die from it, but you just ignore it because, and someone goes, hey, you've got that, so shut up, man, I don't want to look at that because it bothers you. Well, of course it bothers you, but the bottom line is, why instead of ignoring it, why don't you just deal with it? Well, I don't want to go there. They keep reminding me I have a sore. Yeah, guess what? I'm not only telling you you have a sore, but I'm also telling you you can have healing for it. You could be right with God. You can, that will make, and you will be amazed at how that will change you to help you make be right with others. But you're in a crisis now, and you've got to make a choice, man. And your choice is to accept this gift that God chose to pay for you, or somewhere say, no thanks, I will walk myself. Or I'll just pick some other place, or God should let me in. I know it's his house, but he should let me in because he's a nice guy. He's like, I offered. I offered you a key. But for those of you who have accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, can I say this? Because Jesus isn't speaking predominantly to lost guys. He's speaking to his disciples here on his way to his execution. Are you afraid to share Jesus with people because you're afraid they'll ask you a question you don't know? Imagine if your doctor says you have cancer because he's an oncologist. He's supposed to be a specialist in the area. But you ask him, well, actually... 
what team won Premier League, you know, in 1982? Well, maybe he can answer that. But if he could answer that, but he actually doesn't know his skills as oncology, I would be a lot more concerned. It's an irrelevant question. Well, how many eyelets does the classic Chuck Taylor Converse shoe have? Or aglets, if you want to go there. It's an irrelevant question. But what if I can't convince them? Well, you can't. It's not your job. Beloved, listen. It's not your job to convince anyone. But it is your job to be available for God to use you. There's the beauty in it. But if you're willing to give out the gospel that Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture, was buried and on the third day rose again according to Scripture and then was seen by a lot of people, God will do the work. And guess what he'll do? He will convince people that they're not right. He'll convince them how to get right and he'll convince them they need to make that choice. Choice? Wait a minute. I thought this was all about God just maneuvering. Interesting, because this is what Moses says in Deuteronomy 30 as we close. Deuteronomy 30:19. Moses says as he's about to die, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you, and I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. He's going, that's your choice now, man. I laid it before you. It's your choice. Remember Joshua at the end of his life? Joshua says in Joshua 24, 5, he says, look it. If it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, well, hey, that's your bet. That's your issue. Choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve whether it's the gods that your fathers served back there on the other side of the river or the gods of the Ammonites in the land in whom you dwell and whose you dwell. But as for me and my house, we've already made up our minds. We'll serve the Lord. When Jesus says in John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word, and you've heard his word, and believes in him who sent me, the word believe is active. In other words, would you make a choice to do that? And believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, as we pray, this is what I'd like to do as we lay it out. First of all, as a believer, I want to pray that God take the burden off us of thinking that we have to convince people and we actually get to the point of actually doing the part he does call us to, which is laying out the seed. You can't convince a seed to grow, but you can keep it out of the soil and it's time for us to start throwing seed. Trust God with the results, but be faithful to the part he calls you to. And, if, you know, it's like you want to keep, you're like, well, I don't see a harvest. Well, then throw seed. If you don't preach the gospel, people don't get saved. It's just that simple. But if you have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to call you forward and make you stand up and shave your head or any of that. But I'm going to invite you to a simple prayer today to accept that gift. But that's your choice, man. What's clear is the offer's there. It's like you can put the food out. But in the end of it all, that's still your choice. Last story. A few days ago, I had gotten food poisoning or something of the sort, and it was really nasty, as it tends to be. Hadn't eaten for a day, and I finally got out that following day, and there was a summit sarai. Some of you are familiar with those things. They're kind of like uh, Turkish bakeries. And they have things that are kind of like pretzels. I'm like, this is pretty safe. And they only had like one left of this particular kind, and I felt like this was safe. And it was kind of one of those days it was wet and rainy outside, and I'm like, oh, I hadn't eaten now in quite a bit. And uh, so I grab this thing and I come walking out some and I'm like, oh, my first meal in a while. And I can't do that. I couldn't even step out the door without this hand was there holding out in front of me. And uh, clearly this gal, uh, beautiful old chocolate skin gal that was just clearly had rough times. She was, she was a whole lot thinner than I am. And I just kind of looked at her and there was no brainer. I'm like, here, honey, you can have this. That's fine. 
God bless you. I want you to know Jesus is the one who's giving this to you. And uh, while this is happening, she kind of smiles and looks at me, takes the thing and walks 20, 30 paces away from me, throws it on the ground, comes back and starts asking everybody for money. And I was like, of course, my first thought is, are you kidding me? I wanted that thing. That was, that was, that was looking good. That was smelling it. Anyways, all of that to say, look at, I can put it in front of you and I can even put it in your hand, but in the end of it all, you have to decide whether it's going to get in you or not. And as we go to prayer, that's your choice. But that's to you, believer, as well. To be faithful, to actually accept that gift if he offers it, man. Because that's, his, that's your choice. God's done all the other parts. He's put it on your plate and he's put a fork in your hand. Don't blame him if you're hungry. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for this text. I want to thank you that the Holy Spirit does this work. That I don't have to, do, I don't have to worry about how it's presented or any of that, Lord, I want to be faithful to the part you call me to, but Lord, if anything good comes out of it, it's your Holy Spirit speaking anyways. It's your Holy Spirit playing Moses and me trying to be Aaron. And I just pray, Lord, right now for every one of us that we could be honest with ourselves about whether or not the reason we're not doing what you call us to is because somehow we feel ill-equipped or because we feel like we're at some kind of disadvantage because of something physical or, I mean, like Moses tried or because we feel like we have some kind of past like Isaiah tried or we feel like we're too young like Jeremiah tried. What becomes clear and evident is whatever excuse we're going to toss at you, somebody else already tried that in Scripture and it didn't work. And when you peel away all of those bluffs, all that's left is an unwilling heart. And God, if you've done that to any of us today, well, can we please get right with you? To not play the game of, of, of... And we can use all kinds of things as excuses. And we could use things you've given us as excuses. Like our families. Oh God, I can't do that because, because uh, it would damage my family. And yet, God, if you're the one calling us to it, we damage our families by not being obedient. And I just pray, Lord, for the servants here. For people who have said they follow you. Myself included. That you put a willingness in our hearts to do the part you call us to, trusting that the convincing part, the convicting part, the part that exposes and, and challenges, well, that's your work, not ours. And so, Lord, I thank you it's your job to convict the world of sin. I thank you that it's your job through your spirit to convict the world of sin and of righteousness, how to get right with that sin. And also of judgment that they need to make a choice. And you may move in our mouths to do that. You may speak those words through us. Or you may speak those words directly to them. But we want to be faithful to just do the part you tell us to. So forgive us, God, where we've actually not done the part you call us to because somehow we've convinced that we must do more that we're not. And I pray that you would put a, re-put a willingness in our hearts. But now as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're there in respect and prayer, are you sure you've said yes to this gift? Because you're in a crisis, man. You are in a crisis right now. You've got to make that choice. You're going to make that choice of whether you want to get out and try to do this yourself or pick something else that's not proven, that's not tried or true, but it maybe feels warm and fuzzy but it doesn't get you to where you need to go. Or that which is clearly tried and proven and true. 
God, that you sent your son to pay the price on the cross for our all of our sin and guilt and shame, that he died on that cross, was buried and rose again, all as your scripture had promised. And then he revealed himself to a whole lot of people to see that. And here, if you are convinced, not because of my many words, but because of the Holy Spirit confirming this in your heart, remember what Jesus said, if you're willing to believe on him, hear his word and believe on him and do it. Well, you'll be saved. And the scripture says, if you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, God will save you. You'll be saved even now. All you're doing is accepting that payment on your behalf. And if that's you right now, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. I'm not even going to ask you to repeat with me right yet. Because truth be told, I want you to hear what you're amening. But at the end, if you agree with this prayer, I ask you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words now. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I, I am a sinner. That's, there's no, that's no great revelation. And of course, because of that, I'm guilty before you. But I believe that you did send your son Jesus to pay that price. And that he died on the cross for, for all of my guilt and everyone else's too. Was buried and rose again, just like history proves and just like your scripture promises. And you just give me the choice of whether or not I want to let you pay that bill. Though it's been paid, it's whether or not I will agree with you. And I say yes. I recognize in saying yes, that would make me right with you. And I recognize in being right with you, you're going to transform my life and reinvent me from the ground up. But I may not understand everything, but I know this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this and get it right. So I say yes. Yes to your payment on the cross. Yes to your offer of love. And yes, to your complete changing of me, you're washing me clean and removing all that guilt and shame and the weight that comes with it. I say yes. So, God, here I am. In faith, accepting that. Have me, I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen. Well, you've heard our prayers. As we have communion in our last couple of minutes to conclude today, bless this time, Lord, I pray. And I thank you for those who have said yes today. In Jesus' name.